you need to be debriefing fast and often. What is working? What is not working? Why? How do we stop doing what's not working or scale up what is? I think that's both um, an internal conversation as much as it is valuable to be having with your agencies. Hey everyone, it's Noah Barnett, the VP of Marketing here at Feather. And today in the studio, I'm joined by Tobes Kelly. He's formerly the VP of Digital Fundraising and Marketing at UNICEF and the founder of the Substack, Some Personal News or SPN. Tobes, I am so grateful to have you in the studio today. Thank you for inviting me, sir. Well, I know I've spent a lot of time getting to know you over the last few months, even as we've partnered together and I've read uh, your Some Personal News newsletter that comes out every week. But for those that don't know you, I'd love to start by hearing kind of the squiggle and the journey that has gotten you into the work you're currently doing. Well, I think it is probably more a duck and a dive more than I've squiggled. I read Arabic and theology at university in the UK. Um, And then in my early career, I worked at a media agency in London. Then I uh, made the transition into running growth and product marketing at startups uh, in Europe and Asia and North America. Um, So I experienced one exit, which was great, uh, one failure, which was um, a lot of learning um, and one that's still going. And then I joined UNICEF Ventures, who at the time were building uh, Kid Power in the US, um, and they needed somebody to really come in and build their uh, go-to-market around it. So for those who haven't heard of Kid Power, it's like uh, Fitbit, but for kids. So kids would wear it, they would um, play sport wearing it, they'd run around, dance, whatever. Um, But it would count their daily steps. And so if they got to something like 10,000 steps uh, in a day, then UNICEF would donate a packet of uh, what was called RUTF packets to children in in desperate need of it. So RUTF is a um, a peanut butter paste, uh, chock full of nutrients. And I think it's a six-week course of it. It gets administered to children with SAM, which is uh, severe acute malnutrition. Um, And, you know, it's a very brilliant program. It saved thousands of lives. Um, and in fact, it was a product that got voted one of Time's best uh, inventions. Um, we got it into Target. We got it online. We got it in store. It was one of their best-selling wearables. Anyway, it was super, a lot of fun. It was a, it was a big learning curve. Um, and then as I grew in that role, I also took on responsibilities to look after our digital marketing effort in the US and all of our digital fundraising efforts too. And so over time, we built a team of in-house people, of agencies, of tools, platforms, and really grew our um, digital maturity from what was pretty nascent, right? Our our marketing campaigns used mainly external data. We were making um, direct paid media buys, for example, with very limited links to ROI, right? We weren't talking about lifetime value, for example. And then with a lot of concentrated effort and patience, we built ourselves up to operating in a very connected way. So we had dynamic execution across channels. Um, Our data was integrated. It was activated. We were thinking in terms of full funnel. um, And we were operating on the basis of audience cohorts and and behaviors. And this digital engine that we built with all of its processes and and commitment to speed and, and data decision-making, right, resulted in record-breaking digital fundraising to the tune of tens of millions of dollars in the U.S. alone. And that's the inspiration behind what I do now, which is producing content for nonprofit operators, having sat in the seat and, and done it myself at scale. 
And so at the moment, as you kindly referenced Noah at the beginning, um, that's taken its shape in the form of a Substack. Um, so SPN has now got loads of nonprofit marketers, brand marketers, performance marketers, digital fundraisers, comms and PR folks, you know, all nonprofit operators themselves engaging with uh, the playbooks, the commentary, the analysis that gets um, that gets published at 11 minutes past seven uh, on uh, the Eastern time zone um, every Sunday. And in fact, this quarter, we've been sponsored by the very excellent marketing platform that is Feather. So check them out, listeners. Um, I had the good fortune of sitting with their VP of product and we had a great time. It's a super platform. I can totally vouch for it. Um, and I refuse to miss an opportunity to, to toot the Feather horn. I appreciate the kind words, Tobes. And ultimately, <laughs> your commentary and your newsletter was how I was introduced to you. But I think you, your point of view, as you mentioned, because you were an operator, is why I think your commentary and insights resonate so well with the audience you've been able to grow and continue to grow. And it was what attracted me to you, because there's a lot of people, and I feel like I've done this as well, even though I do have a background in and around nonprofits, I, I was in the chair, but you know, six years ago, seven years ago, things have changed. Is that there's a lot of commentary, but the depth of it can be quite shallow. And I think yours stood out. And I think why I sought you out and sent you an email and was like, hey, we got to chat, we got to partner with you, but also why you're here today is that depth that you bring on topics. And you mentioned things like we moved to dynamic, we uh, had integrated and activated data. Like these are topics I think nonprofits want to talk about. And we're excited to get into some of those with you today. Before we get into some of the recommendations or kind of observations you have as it relates to growth, marketing, uh, where nonprofits have opportunities, you sit at this intersection of like mission, marketing, and then even like innovation and technology. I'm curious what trends you are observing right now that are most important. Like how, how are you looking at the world at large and filtering it through your own experience? What is actually important for nonprofit leaders to be thinking about as they go forward? Maybe there's two or three that come to mind. So retail media networks are advertising platforms that allow retailers, let's say Target or Walmart, to sell ad space on their digital channels to brands. So in our case, nonprofits. Why it's exciting is these networks have got a ton of rich data that provide really unique insights into you know, audience cohorts. Um, they offer bags of opportunity to connect with supporters right across the donor journey with you. And I think with the deprecation of um, third-party cookies, having a pretty inconsistent and um, unreliable impact on reporting, the appeal is the first-party data that these networks can give you. So that's that's one opportunity. That's that's also one trend that I think um, nonprofits, both large and small, should be. Um, tapping or at least having a conversation with their agencies about. Um, another one is brand IP. Obviously, Barbie nailed it this year. Um, she was everywhere with multiple brands. So I guess my question would be, what is and where is your Barbie moment? Because this year, I felt that it went way beyond movie promotions, 
right? You had Snoop and Solo Stove. You had uh, Liquid Death uh, and some drumming company. I think it was like SJC Drums. Uh, you had Taylor and Travis, right? So I know UNICEF actually a few years ago launched a partnership or a collaboration with Paddington. And, and I think they are intending to take that collaboration to new heights next year, which is it's exciting for both parties. You know, I'd love to see more nonprofits getting together with brands. I think it's a very smart acquisition play, very smart retention, uh, loyalty, brand positioning play even. And then if you'll permit me a third, so many of us are used to um, buying products directly from social, mobile, display ads, etc. This year, interestingly, Pinterest made every pin on its platform shoppable. Um, from a TV perspective, I think that the the tech and the, and the economics just haven't been in place for shoppable TV advertising to reach an inflection point. And by the way, that sounds expensive. I, I really don't believe that that is the case. And when you start to look at the value that can be sought from um, from a, a sort of a dynamic like that, um, we might see uh, some real opportunity. And I, you know, look, streaming TV has just overtaken linear TV in terms of um, consumption of TV media for the first time. So there's a lot of exciting change within the medium of TV. And I think we're going to see QR codes with shoppable TV overlays for donations. So what does that mean for nonprofits? It means that you're going to be able to compress the time from the top to the bottom of the advertising funnel uh, next year. And perhaps that really means that there's an entirely new cohort of donors that you can be adding to your file, which I think is tremendously exciting. Absolutely. And I just want to kind of recap those for those that are listening, because I, I, I was taking notes aggressively is that, you know, you talked about this search for new first party data sets that unlock new advertising. And you used the, is it R, RMN, Retail Media Network? Correct. Is that what you meant? That's the right one, Retail Media Networks. As an example, but I think there's a lot of others that are looking at their data set from a new vantage point. I know even Uber's advertising business is now like a, almost a billion dollars going into next year. There's a lot of these right. platforms that have captured a bunch of data and they're now turning it into more commercially viable or even accessible for nonprofit advertising opportunities. I think embedded in there in the first party data conversation is not only looking for a new first party data sources to potentially tap into and have that second party access versus depending on third party, but it's also looking at your own data and thinking more creatively about what is your first party data strategy? And then, as you mentioned, first party data of others, what's the second party data strategy for your nonprofits? And like, how does that play into uh, how we think about connecting with our communities going forward. And so that that was a huge one that you mentioned. The second one was the brand IP. And I think this is so, you know, we, we could call it strategic partnerships or brand collaborations or anything along those lines, but really thinking about what are the influences in the communities of the people that want to connect with your cause that um, you can tap into and partner with. And I think we, you mentioned Travis and Kelsey, you are, uh, uh, sorry, Travis and Taylor, <laughs> uh, Kelsey and Taylor. Uh, you mentioned uh, Barbie, you mentioned Snoop Dogg. And I think sometimes we jump too far up and we're looking at these mega superstars. 
But there's also other influence networks and nodes that could be that they have a thousand people or they have 500 people, but they're the right. And so thinking about this idea of how do you, as I call it, get access to uh, these like private squares, because so often we've been using social as an augmentation into these personal squares that people have. But now it's being coming closed off. And I think creators are creating their own network. You know, you have subscribers to SPN that you own and you're cultivating and you're working like that's not accessible unless you give permission in the same way celebrities or brands are giving permissions to nonprofits. So I think really thinking, taking an inventory of who are the other influence nodes in your target community's audience, whether current supporters or future supporters is a huge, huge takeaway. And then the last thing you mentioned was the shopability or the, the, the reduction of friction in maybe consumption or exposure to actually action. And so you're, we're cultivating connection maybe through an ad. And then once we've cultivated that connection, we can activate action. This is part of the good marketing framework uh, we talk a lot about here. But the distance between those things is getting shorter and shorter with some of these large-scale digital media platforms. I am excited for a world, and I don't know what it looks like, where like ads in of itself, you can make donations and it actually makes the donation form on your website, not the primary destination for these connection points? How do we actually bring the donation experience to the connection point versus the connection point being a portal into your own thing? Like, what does that look like? I know we're exploring some things here, even at Feather, as we look at trying to close the distance there uh, with some of our other partners. Um, So lots of exciting things, but those are huge trends that nonprofits can take advantage of. Tobes, I appreciate you highlighting these trends to watch or these opportunity areas. And many are going to use those as they're building out their strategic growth plans for the next year or the next two years. How would you advise an organization approach building a strategic growth plan? How, how would you, what advice would you have for a nonprofit leader building a strategic growth plan for the next 12 to 24 months? Maybe I can start here. And that is... I have uh, fulfilled a New Year's resolution. (laughs) And what that New Year's resolution was, uh, was to read books. Um, And uh, it has really helped me think more creatively, more critically about um, business problems, uh, my problems, um, approaching things in in a different way. And so one of them was um, unreasonable hospitality which uh, was definitely prompted by watching The Bear. Have have you watched it, Noah? Oh, yeah. I've definitely seen The Bear. It is... I'm obsessed. That was amazing. It was unbelievable. I thought it was a grind to get there, but season two, wow, amazing TV. But they talked about unreasonable hospitality. Um, And so for those that that either haven't seen The Bear or, or haven't come across unreasonable hospitality, it's written by a guy who ran, I think it was front of house, Um, And I also think he was a co-founder at 11 Madison Park. 11 Madison Park, which won uh, Restaurant of the Year uh, globally, um, 2018, I think. And there are so many parallels and lessons to be learned for thinking in terms of customer experience, customer success, and really operating with a customer-first mindset, right? So switch it. Donor experience, donor success, donor-first mindset, that kind of exposure to a different industry has really been enlightening and informed a lot of my thinking. So I sort of feel start there um, and and, um, perhaps 
look outside of the sector. In SBN, I try and bring in different sectors and industries for inspiration. From a planning perspective, uh, you know, regardless of where you are in, in any sort of marketing or fundraising campaign, I think just as a, this is how we should be framing how we operate perspective, right? You need to be debriefing fast and often. What is working? What is not working? Why? How do we stop doing what's not working or scale up what is? I think that's both um, an internal conversation as much as it is valuable to be having with your agencies. Um, I uh, love um, this, I think it's a management principle, really. Um, it's, it's Andy Grove. So he was the former CEO of Intel, I think, once upon a time. And he talks about disagree and commit. And this is how I would approach um, a, a growth strategy in, in general, right? It means to encourage disagreement when you make, when you're um, uh, considering important decisions. So you need to understand an opportunity or a challenge from multiple angles. But the key bit is then you've got to unite as a team in committing to the decision once it's been made. And I think another upside to that approach, and it's a great reminder, you know, come month five of a 12-month um, strategy, is you avoid investing a lot of time um, discussing a decision which favors the decision making process rather than being hypothesis led uh, experiment led and i think that, again that's that's the the angle through which the lens through which you want to be approaching um growth into 2014 i read i think it was an ad week a study um or at least results from a study that said that brands and agencies were having perhaps a challenging moment. Um, and what they had done is said, what are the sort of words, what are the adjectives that you as brands and you as agencies would describe uh, your relationship with? And the words that they uh, overwhelmingly both used were complicated and transactional. And so I think as you're building this, you know, um, approach to growth, you do need partnership. We mentioned brand IP, uh, IP and, and strategic partnerships earlier. You need partnership with agencies too, um, I, I, in my opinion. I think there's plenty you can in-house and we can go there if you'd like to. Um, but there is um, an enormous value, I think. In, in, in leveraging the deep expertise in certain areas that, that agencies have. And so maybe the new year in, uh, you know, offers some moment for reflection. Like, you know, and it could be anything from styles of communication. It could be, um, you know, what transparency can we uh, achieve into certain processes that are maybe not there today? Um, can we be taking a more unified approach across nonprofit and agency dynamic silos, right, to to, to campaign ideation, to execution. And then there's two other elements to this. One is, I think learning and development is absolutely key to any growth strategy. I appreciate that that is one of the budgets that gets cut first when, um, you know, that there's a need to free up some cash. But I think if we are really trying to build a sustainable business, for the future, and it's absolutely what I see a nonprofit, you know, as, then you've got to invest in your people. And then the last bit is 
for me, growth and retention come hand in hand. This is something, in fact, I think I just published on um, on Sunday in SPN, right? From a strategic perspective, retention, 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 get thinking in terms of lifetime value. It's not going to get cheaper to acquire a high quality donor next year. Right? I think we've got about 40 elections worldwide happening, right? including in the US, including in the UK. So eyeballs and attention are, are really going to be at a premium. Um, which means as a brand, you have to be um, distinctive, right? You, you have to have a very clear statement of, you know, this is who we are and, and, and the value um, that, that, we, that we bring to the mission, that we bring to what it is we're solving for. Totally agree on retention being an important part of a go-forward growth strategy. However, Feather's State of the Nonprofit Marketing Report, and I think other reports I've been a part of, uncover that many nonprofits are splitting attention between acquisition and, and retention, with acquisition winning out more often as it relates to resourcing. So how should leaders balance these and allocate the right resources towards each in the new year? So I think the answer to your question is it depends. As we look at 2024, I appreciate that budgets are likely going to be very constrained. And if that is the situation, then the focus has to be on retention. You're being forced to focus on retention. Hopefully, in your data, you can see that donor retention yields a much higher ROI on your marketing spend. Um, don't misread what I'm saying. I, acquisition is absolutely critical for long-term growth. But if you're acquiring a donor at 50 bucks and they're only giving you, you know, only in inverted commas, 50 bucks, then you've got a bit of a problem. If you're acquiring at 50 and they're only giving you 30, you've got even more of a problem. So acquisition is important for long-term growth. Yes. The initial costs associated with with acquiring new donors next year given it being a, a, a sort of an election cycle i think are going to be very very high indeed and that is why doubling down on retention for growth and building a sustainable organization especially within the confines of a tight budget it is critical i think that's good guidance because it leaves room for an organization's context, but it still centers back on the focus and the need to be on your current supporters, on retention, on how you are cultivating generosity, hospitality, if I might say, for your mm -hmm. supporters. Like, what is, that, that what is that hospitality that you're providing to those participating in generosity through your organization? And as other guests have said in the studio, is that retention is still the best acquisition channel. And I think if you do retention really well, it actually has ripple effects that that relay into acquiring new and, and growing the community. And so I think that focused guidance is actually really important because adding to what you shared in a year like 2024, where maybe budgets are more constrained or competition for attention is higher, driving up cost, just the competition for attention is wild right now, let alone in the future as we have uncertain things and certain things like political elections and all of that. Um, so focus has to be the center as you go in. 
And so needing to pick and prioritize and then make decisions within that is really crucial. And one thing I advise organizations to do as they look at their priorities and plan for next year is to do somewhat of a, a pressure check. And I think you've echoed some of the sentiment in your writings where you ask questions as it relates to various pieces of your operating model. And so, you know, it's what are programs are you running and how are they working? What isn't working? Um, where is there room for improvement or optimization? Then zooming out of the programs box and going into the process box. And you talk a lot about process. It's like, where is our collaboration breaking down as an organization? Where are we adding more friction in our workflow than we really need? Where is their successes? Where are things going right? And again, then zooming out of that box and zooming in on your people box. And you talked about professional development, but it's like, do we have the right people in the right roles to grow with us in the organization? This isn't even a headcount conversation. It's on how are we allocating our people resources across that? And so I usually advise organizations to do this pressure check across programs, across processes, and across people, but through the lens of focus. And I think your guidance uh, adds to that. If I may, I would just add in one consideration, and we covered this in SPN recently, which is what is the cost of losing a donor? I think that's a really, really important calculation. Um, and any um, time invested there is, is certainly time well spent. We've spent much of our conversation talking about kind of strategic lenses or an approach to asking the right questions and inspection. I want to get a little bit more granular with you and get your guidance is that as nonprofits are planning to invest next year, where do you see channels maybe they should be investing more in versus channels or tactics they should be investing less in? And I know the general answer might be it depends, but as you look at all of the channels that we use to connect with our community to our cause, where should organizations consider doubling down and where should they consider pulling back? Interesting, because uh, we need to move on from talking from a channel first perspective. We need to switch that lens and start talking, thinking about audiences, right? Where are our audience spending time? Um, and then, you know, let's pour in there. Another consideration is this. What is hyper unique about your brand? What, what makes you different? Right, let's start there. What if you leaned into that answer with the purpose of um, educating or enriching your community? Because I think there's an opportunity to feed their curiosity right and i think curiosity is um a little undervalued let's put it like that um or another way to look at this is what's piqued um your curiosity right as the person who is sitting within one of these channels facebook instagram tiktok right and how can you tie your brand into what you understand your audience to be engaging with there Another angle to that is, what is something, I guess, specific that you wish more supporters knew about your brand? And how can you tell that in the right channel, but, but to the different audience cohorts? Because you're probably going to have to tell it in a slightly different way if you take an audience first lens. 
right? So, so I think the first consideration there actually is um, allow yourself to be led by your own curiosity. Right? I'm not saying go off brand, but but don't put a lid on your curiosity. Storytelling, I think that is a cracking and important umbrella term that can sit right, right across all these different channels, but it is critical for audience development, right? So what if you took um, what's become expected from your um, brand storytelling on your website, on your YouTube channel, reels, whatever it is, and you flipped it on its head? Because where I'm going with that is, are you sufficiently mobilizing your audience to collaborate with you, right? And help shape your brand on one of those channels that you're talking about. Because this is how you engage Gen Z. I've read so much about people saying, I've got no idea how to do it. But what people aren't doing is just giving it a bit of a crack, right? Just what's your hypothesis? Put something out there. Does it engage this particular audience? Yes or no, learn from it, build on it, put it in the trash, keep going, right? What's a, um, a brand relevant universal or um, community truth that you can infuse this delusional energy into? I love this phrase delusional. It, it's, um, I think YouTube use it or, or TikTok use it at the moment, right? And it's, they talk about the energy that can be infused into their platform. And I think that, you know, let's steal from that and say to ourselves, where are we putting that delusional energy, our brand delusional energy? What are we injecting into um, how we go to market? I think there's a real opportunity. And you mentioned community earlier, Noah. And I, I know we talk about community. I think we could do more talking about community. There's an opportunity to build trust um, in your community. Right? They're all focused and playing around the different channels. Let's just take it up a notch and say, what if you established next year consistent actions with your TikTok, with your Facebook, with your Threads community, whatever channel it is, right? I'm talking about the audience. Be consistent so that you can cultivate their trust beyond a single donation, right? So in one respect, that's nodding to pledge and monthly giving. But in another practical step, that's just saying, let's commit to a calendar, right? A, a sort of a calendar of actions. and then. How can you leverage the channel-specific language with audience-specific language into your creative campaigns that you build for the entirety of the year? Right? And that's about having your eyes and your ears open. I also think it, it, it sort of opens the opportunity to then start talking about social proof. And there's a big opportunity for nonprofits to stand up, wave the flag, and, and, and really highlight the, you know, the, Here's a, here's a great example. I did a test on Reddit uh, a couple of weeks ago. Reddit's great. It's inexpensive. It's an easy place to go run tests, by the way. And one of those tests was if I put an image of my logo out there or I put an image of my logo with five-star reviews around it, no surprise which performed better. This is an age-old idea. People follow the actions of others. So how does that translate to your nonprofit brand of whatever size showcase your charity navigator rating with all the stars show them how respected you are show off how careful you are uh, from a financial management perspective right your messaging to 
future, current, even lapsed donors, that your brand is, is a safe pair of hands, right? Supporters want that confidence. Show them. That's not channel specific. That's understanding an audience need and giving it to them. I agree wholeheartedly about this advice. And it actually reflects what we advise through the good marketing framework, which is you forego starting with channels and you start with, you said audience, we say community, and then you seek to cultivate connection with them wherever they are. As you said, that could be on any channel and that's going to differ based on what your community or the piece of your community you're trying to engage. And then once you've connected with them, I think the word you use was more powerful than the one I typically use, which is activate to action. And you said you, we should invite collaboration. And I think that is super powerful that if we think about it as community first connection and then collaboration as a way to reorient ourselves off of this channel first mindset to being audience first, community first, that's deeply powerful. And if you can do that appropriately in your planning, where it's about what segments of our community or audiences we're trying to connect with first, that should inform your channel specific strategies, whether it's TikTok or telethons or direct mail or email marketing. And I really think that is sufficient as guidance is that as you make a plan, start with the community. New Year's typically bring tons of new beginnings. And we've talked about a lot of new opportunities. You know, we kicked off the call talking about retail media networks and brand IP. Now we're talking about, hey, switching from channel first to community first or audience first mindset. But I want to end on something super practical and get your take on what has not changed about effective, high growth, you know, nonprofit marketing. And what are one or two practical things that just haven't changed that we need to keep as first principles as we plan for next year? Well, I think budgets are always going to at least feel under scrutiny and, and maybe they're going to be under more scrutiny. Um, agencies are under more pressure to ensure that every ad dollar spent shows a return on investment. But what hasn't changed? I think that people continue to value experimentation. They continue to value creativity. We have to keep fighting for both those things, because therein lies the opportunity to learn, to iterate, to grow, both grow as a brand, grow the fundraising dollars, grow as a, as, as a mission. I really believe that experimentation is the unlocker. And it, you know, it's a mindset as much as it is a strategic approach, as much as it is a growth lever, where you say lever in the US. Um, I think the drama with X formerly quote Twitter, has led us all to this point where people seem more open to experimenting with more up-and-coming platforms, right? And, and testing approaches to things that don't necessarily have an established way of being for fundraising and, and, and brand building yet. So I think embracing experimentation is, is going to be key. And I think actually, you know, the stage that we find ourselves today, it sort of reminds me of the earlier days of where um, you know, we hadn't been like best practiced into oblivion um, from a sort of, you know, a social channel or social audience perspective. And I think that's kind of exciting. You know, I think we, you know, that's why we double down. That's, you know, we need to embrace that reality. Absolutely. I say it slightly differently, but I, I echo the agreement is that the power of good marketing is knowing that you're wrong 
And your job is to figure out how wrong as quickly as possible. And that's the privilege we have as marketers and growth leaders is that we can start from that assumption and then take action um, and move forward. So that is a great way to end this. Tobes, I'm so grateful for you. I'm so grateful for your uh, lens and vantage on our industry. And if people want to connect with you or learn uh, from your weekly commentary, what's the best way for them to stay connected? Uh, I'd subscribe to some personal news, Tobes, T-O-B-E-S dot substack dot com. Absolutely. I know many of you will. I'm a subscriber. I get forwarded the email often and I'm like, I'm already a subscriber. <laughs> uh, I know how <laughs> brilliant this is. Um, so highly recommend if you're listening to this and you've gotten even any value out of this, there's abundance more in SPN. Please go subscribe to that. And Tobes, we'll have to have you back in the studio another time soon. I love that. Thank you, Noah. Thank you.